Welcome to Unboxy World, the podcast where philosophy meets tech. In each episode, we're connecting the dots between philosophy, technology, society, science, and progressive thought. And together with brilliant minds across the world who dare to challenge the way we think and live in today's society, we are unboxing our minds one episode at a time. I am Ria Salting. I am a tech professional during the day and a philosopher at night. And if you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter to never miss the latest unboxed episode. So let's get started. Let's unbox ourselves. Welcome back to the show. Now, in some of our previous episodes, we have covered the topic of regenerative living. Now, what this means is that while sustainability, as we know it typically, focuses on sustaining Mother Earth, regenerative living, on the other hand, goes one step beyond that and focuses on restoring it. So across the globe right now, some changemakers and enthusiasts are building what we call so-called smart villages or eco-villages that are based on these regenerative principles that in fact restore our planet. OASA is a non-profit and they focus on innovating and building these smart villages at scale. And what they're currently doing is that they are building a regenerative farm outside of Lisbon, which is called Traditional Dream Factory. And what they're doing now in order to fuel investments in the space and to enable governance at scale, they have in fact launched Europe's first land-based conservation token. And what this means is we will get back to this later in the show. And uh, this project is groundbreaking in its kind because this is in fact the first time in Europe that a regenerative village has issued a token that has legal status which means it, it is giving the token holder access to real-world assets compared to if you would own a virtual asset in the digital world. So with this launch, OASA hoped to lead the way and to inspire more enthusiasts to actually take action and join them on the quest to restore our Mother Earth through regenerative living. So let's get to it and let's get started. Hello, welcome to Unboxing World, Samuel Delesk, co-founder of OASA. Hey, thank you so much. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited to uh, dig into this uh, topic today. Um, so, because uh, you have done some, uh, well, you, you've been a pioneering some um, innovations in the DAO token uh, <laughs> space here in Europe. <laughs> so we're going to get more into that. Um, but I think we should probably start off with, because uh, you do a few different things in the um, so-called regenerative space, meaning um, sustainability from um, a more holistic perspective, right? So instead of just sustaining Mother Earth, uh, also focusing on restoring it. Um, I think the most tangible project that you are working on uh, is uh, the traditional dream factory. Um, so let's just maybe start with that uh, and explaining what it is that you do there and what you're innovating around. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you. So the traditional dream factory is um, it's a regenerative co-living space in uh, in Alentejo in Portugal. Um, we we acquired uh, the land uh, about a couple of years ago, um, and yeah, it's very much uh, hands in the dirt, um, planting trees, growing a forest, um, learning how to work with local ecosystems. Um, so even though we are launching a DAO and a token and all of these digital things, um, it also very much is rooted in, in the ground and in the earth and how we can actually regenerate the soil. Um, and so what Traditional Dream Factory is, it's a prototype for regenerative living. Uh, our goal is basically to, um, to try and demonstrate that we can create a regenerative lifestyle, uh, meaning that we can create a a human settlement that actually fosters positive externalities for the planet and for the local ecosystem. Um, so that includes, for example, um, better air quality, restoring water cycles, improving the soil health, improving the, the quality of life for, for our neighbors and for our members. Um, and yeah, and we really believe in this idea of returning land to the commons. And, and this is where the whole like kind of DAO and token piece comes in. Um, but on a more yeah local level, it's, it's really about um, finding, finding new ways of living that are more in tune with nature and that, that can regenerate ourselves and, and where we can have fun in the process as well. Hmm. So, so basically, traditional dream factor, it's... Um... It's um, land uh, inside Portugal, right, where you are um, co-creating a new way of living together with other people that are interested in these topics, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a farm. So it, it used to be a chicken farm. It was built in the <laughs> 60s, 70s. Um, it, it used to house uh, 30,000 chickens at one point. Um, oh, and now we're that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, now we're converting it to house uh, about 30 humans uh, but we're also acquiring the, the adjacent lands uh, so about 25 hectares um, and yeah basically we're developing a co-living space a co-working space a maker space a restaurant and in, like industrial kitchen so you can transform the food product that come in uh, we're developing a, a productive food farm so the objective for 2023 is to actually be mostly self-sufficient in terms of vegetable production by by end of the year um so we have a plan to to set up a productive uh, farm um for the last couple of years the main objective was to basically regenerate the soil um uh, like improve the soil quality and planting a lot of biodiversity which is also how we support the soil and try to create a, an ecosystem that um that yeah basically the goal for the food system is to only harvest from the abundance of nature. So first mm -hmm. we have to plant that abundance and work on the water systems and work on the land systems that can produce that abundance. Um, mm. Yeah. And, and this, this fall we got a lot of rain finally. So that was really exciting. Um, even though there was some floodings in Lisbon and it wasn't great for everyone. Uh, but being a farmer in Alatejo, a region where it, basically doesn't rain for six months out of the year. But on top of that, last winter, it basically didn't rain either. So it was like a really dry year last year. Um, so, and that, that happened right after we planted. So it was actually like 
yeah, I mean, we saw it firsthand, mm -hmm. like, um, there's this whole thing about the whole Hiberian Peninsula potentially turning into a desert and the Sahara progressing up into Europe this way. Um, and so that's something that we're trying to combat and trying to basically restore the water cycles to enhance the life-giving uh, life capacity of the land for future generation, mm -hmm. generations. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I visited uh, Traditional Dream Factory for your um, regenerative finance uh, unconference, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think also the, what, what I, what hit me was like the, was the, the, the power of it was really what people it attracted, right? So it was just this um, um, hyper uh, kind of, um, Yeah, like a, the, a lot of people that are interested in, and I think that is where the power of this comes in, right? Because you're attracting a lot of people that want to work on this. So it's, uh, uh, I think you can really accelerate from there. It's um, cool to see. Um, usually, um, it's you, usually you're not in the surroundings where so many people <laughs> are interested in these things. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean... We, we, I mean, that's the kind of people that we like, you know, the pioneers, mm -hmm. the, the people who are a bit out there. And it's a bit of a combo between the crypto people, the artists, the regenerators, the, mm -hmm. like kind of like those different realms of life that are trying to pioneer this solar punk civilization together. And and to come to TDF, I, I mean, at this point in, in the first couple of years, I mean, it, it, it was kind of designed for pioneers and people who, who can seize opportunity because it's still, I mean, it's still a chicken farm. Like we haven't built all the buildings yet. Like now we are finally having the, the architectural plan and engineering plans. Mm -hmm. And so we're raising funds to actually transform it into the, the final project that we want to see. But at this point, yeah, it was attracting like really interesting people who want to see this future and who really believe in, in this vision that, that we have in common. And mm -hmm. and I like to I really like this uh, image from um, I I can't remember the name of it but there was this uh, sailor in the I think it was a 1700 who put up an ad uh, for an expedition to the North Pole and mm -hmm. it said high high chance of death and uh, low pay and so on um, but because the people who were drawn to that vision uh, were so committed to it and they were willing to risk their life. That meant that they actually pulled it through and they actually made it to the North Pole and the expedition was successful and they bypassed all of these risks. And so I think in the same way for traditional Dream Factory, actually we didn't have any uh, images online, for example. Like on the website, there's no images. Uh, we haven't done any effort in terms of marketing and whatnot. Mm. So really the people who come is the people who really truly believe in, in the vision currently. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So I think, I mean, this, um, so this, uh, this is a physical um, uh, land, right? So this is the stepping stone to um, what you've just first launched, the first, the first land-based DAO in Europe, right? Um, so just for the listeners, first things first, uh, could you explain what this buzzword DAO really is, <laughs> what a token is, <laughs> and, and, and uh, what, uh, what is it good for? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, uh, so I mean, DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Uh, the way that I like to see a DAO is essentially just um, a purpose uh, to which you give uh, basically like a set of governance tools uh, and a treasury. So the 
basically it's it's just a group of people that get together around a certain idea um and and then they put in all the different capitals whether it's financial capital human capital social capital uh, in order to grow this idea and to make it flourish and to 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 facilitate the realization of that idea mm. um and so the whole legal structure around DAOs and and the ways that we set up our, our DAO um, is really like geared towards that. It's like our purpose is to take land out of the market, to regenerate it, uh, and then to give access to our members. Um, and that's the same thing as if you like at, for example, Ethereum, which is uh, the second largest uh, blockchain project at the moment. Um, the Ethereum Foundation is simply a purpose with a purpose to um, enhance the Ethereum network. Um, and so basically you, you take out the kind of um, trust, if you want, in, in like you're not just investing, you know, in, in a certain company or thing like that, just based on like certain um, metrics or like on certain uh, people and so on. You, you, you invest in an idea. And then you let that idea, like the way that that idea can then unfold is through the governance uh, protocols and through the, the ways that we then collaborate as humans. Uh, but yeah, I mean, DAO has been a bit of a buzzword the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a lot of people just take it as a replacement for like a company or, or whatever you want. Um, I mean, the, the truth is, it's just a way to organize humans and it's like the latest latest newest way to do it um the the hard thing is always to coordinate those humans and to make sure that people are aligned that they have a common vision a common purpose and then figuring out how to then handle the governance systems within that group of people to let the best ideas emerge and really be able to enhance the the result um and not have like too much um power control or like power uh, conflict within the group or also not get into like gridlock because you can't make decisions so it's always like this kind of balance that you find in corporations and nonprofits mm -hmm. or wherever you want um, but the DAO is just a way to encode this through uh, through through a blockchain so you can encode those principles on how you govern and how you take decisions and you put this in a in an automated system so that anyone can see transparently how decisions are being made and you can then decide if you want to trust the system or not. Um, so then the second piece is an, a token. Um, a token is what creates um, the e e economical framework within these kind of uh, communities, Web3 communities. Um, so a token is basically a representation of value uh, within the economic system. Um, at TDF, for example, um, a, a token corresponds to a, a fraction of uh, space-time in the project, so uh, meaning that it gives you access to the to the facilities on the LAN. Um, and in our case, one TDF token corresponds to one night spent at TDF in in the most basic accommodation, so in a in a shared room, for example, or in a clamping. Um, and then two tokens will correspond to like a private room and so on. Uh, but it's just a way to basically distribute the, the value of the project between a, a set of humans. Um, so you're basically buying yourself the right to stay there one night per year. Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's a new form of 
of timeshare in a way uh, that's just more, much more flexible and that enables people to come in and out of the project. Um, so what we've been seeing like with uh, eco villages since the 60s is like a lot of eco villages fail. And I believe that one of the reasons that eco villages fail is because it's really hard to get in and to get out of it. In general, most mm-hmm. eco villages projects uh, start with a group of friends and move to a land. Uh, but when you do that, you're really committed because you share land title and you know, you're kind of locked in, into this project. Um, so we believe in that this additional layer of Web3 on top of Echo Villages can really create a new framework for for how we create these regenerative settlements, and that can basically, yeah, just enable like more ease of access and ease of exit, and more transparency in how we do governance, um, and as well, which is really important, I think it's adding this whole economic layer on top of the Echo Village and being able to attribute value to different things and having economic models that actually work. And I think that was like one of the key aspects uh, that has been lacking in a lot of eco-village projects out there, which have a high focus on and high integrity on, for example, uh, ecosystem restoration and ecological kind of principles. Um, and also in general, in terms of social, how they operate, also, it's not always like very transparent and clear, but in general, like there's those intentions. But uh, in general, there's also a lack of um, desire for building an actual economic model around it, which I think is one of the like sources for all the failures that we've been seeing in the space. Mm-hmm. I think could uh, it's just to make a tangible example. Could one way of explaining it be like the 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 decentralized way of uh, governing yourself is like the old style. Um, you were living in a little, little small community together um, where you didn't need anything because like you, you were so few people um, and you were just organizing yourself and you did the hunting and you did the cooking, etc. Um, but like, for example, in our society today, maybe um, uh, you're um, 500 people in a small village and you want to build a playground. Um, And then uh, instead of just doing a fundraising for it, uh, people could actually contribute um, to it, but it's regulated how you make decisions about it. And if someone contributes more, you could, for example, okay, I can actually, if I'm contributing more, I can actually rent this for a day to host a kid's party <laughs> once per year, for example. And uh, I mean, it could that be a simple way of explaining it? And then if someone moves away from the village, someone could buy over that right. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, you could explain it that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I mean, essentially, that's the beauty of, of these Web3 economic systems that we are creating is that you're really creating an, a system from scratch. And so, mm-hmm. so when you start a Web3 project, you want to look at who are all the stakeholders that, you're, that are participating in your economy. And then what are the kind of incentives, like what are you trying to optimize for? And mm-hmm. then what incentives do you want to put in place to optimize for that? Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to optimize for, for example, having more playgrounds, then you can reward people who are building playgrounds with a token mm-hmm. that, that gives you a certain access to the value of the ecosystem. Um, and that, I mean, that's how we've been doing it as well. For example, at Traditional Dream Factory, 20% of all the tokens that are going to be minted 
are reserved for sweat equity. So for anyone that actually participate in the building and development of, of the project, uh, if you take part in, in, in the DAO and, you know, you can support in, in multiple ways, like um, if you want to support in terms of marketing or in terms of planting trees in the ground or in terms of construction or what, whatever it is, then you can simply put a proposal to the DAO and then you can earn some sweat tokens for, for that work. So sweat token is a work that you put into it, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's how we like to call it. <laughs> so, but okay. So you have now la launched the first land-based token in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. Now, like, so what does this mean and, uh, and uh, how does it work? And why is it different to other um, Web3 projects that we're seeing right now? Yeah, so so the first piece of that, I mean, it's been like a two-year process, more or less, well, a bit less, but um, it's been a lot of research and a lot of money spent on on lawyers <laughs> um, <laughs> to get to this point. Uh, but so the first thing that we are doing differently from a lot of DAOs is that we actually have a legal entity and legal representation in the jurisdiction system. Um, and so basically we are incorporated as a nonprofit in Switzerland, which gives us um, real sovereignty so that um, the legacy uh, court systems and uh, nation states and, and you name it, they, they know how to interact with it. It's like the, the nonprofit is our interface to the default world. Um, and so that has taken some time because it's also very new. And I mean, there's a few ways of uh, legalizing DAOs at the moment, like for example, uh, Wyoming launched uh, a law a couple of years ago, which enabled DAOs to get some legal recognition in court. Um, oh, but I mean, okay. it's, it's been a bit of a bumpy, bumpy road, and it's still like very much uh, something new. And there, there's like some limitations to DAOs in Wyoming. Um, so I mentioned earlier, for example, Ethereum, Ethereum is registered as a nonprofit in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the reason why we decided to incorporate in Switzerland, because there's some legal antecedent for, for creating this kind of DAO structures within the legal realm. Um, and so we spent a lot of time basically crafting our token and our tokenomic and a white paper uh, in order to be able to showcase that, yes, like the we are a network of DAOs essentially, and we do have a, a, a purpose, which is uh, not for profit, which is to take land out of the market to regenerate it and conserve it. Um, and the token is a way for members who participate in that mission and accelerate the, the vision uh, to get some kind of benefits uh, in exchange. Um, benefits being access to the facilities that we're going to be developing. Um, so that's a little bit the first piece. Um, the second piece, which I'm really excited about, is that um, we developed this proof of presence uh, mechanism, which is essentially a way of doing bookings on chain. So we developed this platform, which we're open sourcing and gonna be enabling other communities to use, which is called Closer, Closer.Earth. Um, and, and Closer is essentially, well, first of all, it's a smart contract that enables you to lock your TDF tokens um, into the contract in exchange for getting a booking. So by locking TDF the tokens... Is, uh, TDF is traditional dream factory, right? The farm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So TDF is uh, the, the token of traditional uh, mm -hmm. dream factory, uh, which is 
going public in 2023. Um, and so by, by using the proof of presence um, mechanics, you can essentially lock your TDF tokens for a year in exchange of uh, staying in the project. So for every token that you lock, you can get access to the space for one day in the, in the basic accommodation. Um, and yeah, and, and this proof of presence is just the first, um, like it's the first step and it's basically a Lego blocks that we're creating. So the ways that Web3 works is that all of these contracts and so on, they can now um, layer in between each other and you can, it, it just facilitates um, collaboration in the space. So basically because now we launch this proof of presence mechanic, now someone else can come out there and they can use the proof of presence to do something else. So for example, the second use case that we have besides bookings and being able to stay physically in the space that we are adding onto this proof of presence is governance rights. So we have an assumption that the more time you're going to be spending in the village, the more knowledge and the better decisions and the more informed you will be about the project, um, the, the better the decision making you'll be able to do in how to evolve the project. So therefore, we're going to be giving you more governance right for choosing how the project is going to evolve based on how much time you actually spent on it. So let's say, for example, you buy 100 TDF tokens and you come and you spend 100 days in 2023 and then you spend 100 days in 2024. Now you're going to be accumulating those proof of presence tokens throughout the years. Um, and then we also apply a decay function so that days spent a long time ago have less representation than days spent recently. Um, but it's essentially a way to give governance right to our members based on how much time is actually spent in the project. Um, and then we can see other ways to make that useful in the future and how to tie it in with a broader blockchain ecosystem. And something that I'm really excited about is obviously ReFi, uh, Regenerative Finance. Yes. Uh, you came to a ReFi event that we hosted in the spring. Uh, but so the goal of ReFi is to change our financial system um, to incentivize for planetary regeneration. Um, and so one way that I could see for some proof of presence tying into this is, well, we have a project that's actually regenerative. We're taking carbon out of the atmosphere. We're regenerating the, the restoring the water cycles. We're improving the biodiversity. Um, and actually we're already tracking some of these metrics on chains through, for example, open forest protocol. Uh, we're tracking the total biomass growth of our forest, which means that uh, next year when Open Forest Protocol opened the carbon market, we will be able to issue carbon credits, which means that we're creating a value from this regenerative work that we've been doing. Um, and now one, one little dream or idea that we have is to be able to actually assign that value directly to the proof of presence, meaning that the people who are actually present on the ground are doing the work, planting the trees, caring for the land, being stewards, they actually get rewarded for simply doing the right thing. And so that's the kind of incentives that we want to build mm -hmm. on in the, in the future. Um, but yeah, and also like very simply, I guess, the, the ways that we're different from most Web3 projects is that um, the token gives you real utility. You can use the token to stay on the land and to get food. Um, mm -hmm. I. I actually haven't done the research, but I'm pretty sure there's almost zero other tokens in the Web3 space currently that gives you that. Hmm. Okay, cool. So 
Um, if I were to summarize this, uh, let's see if I um, I've got I got it right. But uh, first, you have like legally bought a piece of land, right, um, from the government or the someone else, another owner before. Um, so you own that and you put together a limited, uh, what is it called, a limited company um, in, inside your company. Um, and then you started a nonprofit in Switzerland and you built this uh, DAO system with tokens um, and you've connected this actual like land that has a true value, something that you can physically put your hands on in the real world and connected these DAOs and and the DAO and these tokens to this land. So mm-hmm. that means that you have connected something real uh, to these uh, tokens. And, and also, I think you mentioned that um, b- before that, um, so everything is regulated, right? And in, in, in how this place is supposed to be run because you want to, um, the end goal is to to uh, to help restoring the earth, right? So in in case this project would fail um, legally, uh, this piece of land would go back to um, the benefit of all, like to the commons, right? Um, yeah. Did I get it yeah, all exactly. right? <laughs> Pr- pretty much. There's a couple of yeah. s- small little things, but uh, yeah, so essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yes, like uh, the land was purchased initially privately. So I kind of helped kickstart the project by financing the initial land. Um, and and then we set up a, a local company in Portugal and a nonprofit, like you mentioned. Um, and then the white paper is then what ties the, the nonprofit with the tokens. So now you have this direct link between the tokens to the nonprofit, to the local entity in Portugal, mm-hmm. to the land title. Um, and the first thing that the token uh, token holders will do as as a DAO is to uh, buy me out. So um, once we we raise the first round of funding, which we are mm-hmm. uh, doing this spring, uh, we're financing the renovation of the co-living building, and we're also financing the acquisition of the land to transfer it into the final uh, legal entity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you mentioned, um, part of the statutes of our nonprofit mentioned that. Um, if the nonprofit is uh, terminated for whatever reason, mm-hmm. say the project fails, no one wants to care for it anymore, uh, then the land has to be donated to a nonprofit with a similar purpose. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it is a, a one-way um, entry into the commons, uh, and uh, like we're really looking at, at long term and how we can protect and preserve this land for for future generations. So we didn't want to just, you know, do like a, any kind of like short-term thinking and everything that we do, all the investments that we do in terms of restoring soils, that's something that takes multiple decades potentially to get to the mm-hmm. place where we want to be. And and so we really want to ensure that the legal system behind it is going to be secured for for uh, at least multiple generations. Um as much as as we can tell today, uh, we're doing it forever. But I mean, forever is kind of a big word. Uh, but that's a little bit the idea: is that we're transitioning this land back into a commons that then benefit the whole, and we distribute the access rights to members um, based on their participation participation mm. in the project. Mm. 
So I think one um, common challenge is we touched upon before, but is that um, like tokens and um, uh, DAOs they're not typically recognized by law. Like they don't, the law doesn't even see it as real. Um, so, and I realized that you've worked with a lot of lawyers, but and, <laughs> and maybe this is too much of a technical question to go into. But how have you turned this into? Uh, a legal thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we, like I said, we've been on, on this journey for like a couple of years, like, um, when we started doing it, we, we I mean, we bumped into a lot of issues. Um, I, we, it felt like we were going in loops, but actually I found out we were actually going in spirals. So it's like a, a spiral development, <laughs> where you, you keep circling back, but yeah, you make a little progress every time. Um, and we got introduced to, um, I mean, we, we got quotes to to set up this nonprofit. And well, I mean, first we started by looking, can we do it in Portugal? There's no, there's zero uh, like precedent in Portugal for doing it. They're just starting now in 2023 to have some kind of rules around crypto and taxation. So they're starting to dive into a little bit, but uh, there's still nothing about DAOs. So I mean, you can do it. You can set up an entity in Portugal or wherever you want. But because there's no legal precedent, it means that you're really going into uncharted territory and they might come back a few years down the road and tell you that your whole thing is like a security, for example, which we've seen a lot in, in the US. And that caused a lot of troubles for, for crypto projects. Uh, so we, we and because we're looking to do something for multiple generations and something that has mm. like that's tied to like real value we wanted to really do this properly um so yeah so then we got introduced to different lawyer groups including for example LexDAO, which is actually a DAO of lawyers in the us um and so, oh, lawyers <laughs> yeah um I, I mean i think you call it uh, legal hacking but uh, it's basically okay. figure out ways to actually utilize the legal system for these purposes and so they recommended us to someone in Italy who had been working with a lawyer in Switzerland. And so this is how we finally got introduced to, to Lars, who has been uh, working on our uh, schema. And yeah, and yeah, I mean, th that's kind of the journey of how we, how we got there. Um, I mean, but what gives the real backing of the token and, and which really explains how the DAO and everything works and which is a contract that ties the token holders to the nonprofit is really a white paper. So for anyone that's interested in launching a token, a regenerative village, I encourage you to read that. And yeah, our model is reproducible. Anyone could go out there and they could start this model. And now that we created a framework, it should also make it easier and cheaper, hopefully for future projects to do so. Uh, but you do have to understand the limitation of our scope and our project. Uh, being that we are a nonprofit meant to take land out of the market and regenerate it. So if your project is looking to, for example, uh, create profits for your token holders, then that structure is probably not going to work for you. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, quite complex, but it's um, um, still um, uh, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, but, um, so if we, then uh, what is your, why are you doing all of this? Um, what's your, um, 
big vision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I guess I'm I'm mainly doing it because I can, because I believe in creating a more beautiful world, uh, because I want to live in <clears throat> in a in the solar punk civilization that that we are co-dreaming and co co-creating. Mm. Um, you know, I started like when when we met, I was more qualifying myself as a digital nomad. Uh, today, maybe less so, since I've been more of a Alentejo farmer. Um, <laughs> but I still very much believe in this dream that, yeah, was that we can have access to lands around the world that are actually more beautiful than than the lands that that you find today because we keep regenerating it and because we actually work in symbiosis with nature. And I believe we can have this role as humanity to actually... Um, yeah, to create a more beautiful world and to support thriving nature and to support more biodiversity. And I don't believe in doomerism. I don't believe that, you know, that um, that everything is uh, doomed and that that civilization is just uttering us into into the uh, end of the world. Um, I think those kind of narratives are not very useful and they don't encourage us to take action. So, so my goal with this whole project is just to create something that's positive, that people want to take action in, that they believe in the vision and the project, and that it creates a, a catalyzer for them to take action and to participate in a regenerative civilization. Um, and yeah, I guess the last thing is, I, I think this, like, the way we've been doing it is very playful. Like, we're, we're seeing it as a playground, and I think play is like one of our core values and it's if we cannot have fun building a new civilization then i don't think it's even worth trying because then we're failing somewhere um so we we have to create something that's that works for nature we have to create something that works mm -hmm. for us um and we have to avoid all of the pitfalls that have um kind of been preventing a lot of uh, these projects from happening so by having proper governance system proper economic yeah. systems and and just creating systems yeah that are aligned with nature and with our purpose i mean this land based token is the first tangible is the first tangible um step uh, prototype towards that right um I think you I think you put it quite beautifully in your white paper. I can, I can read out the the first sentences here. Um but I think it, the vision sells it quite well. Uh what you're saying is that uh, the year is 2050. Um in the midst of the global desert landscape a new civilization is flourishing. The civilization embraced a sacred economy for over 20 years and is an in I can't pronounce this, is inexorably restoring the planet's soils, water cycles, and biodiversity. Um, so that is the, um, the, the, the hope, right? That um, with more people would um, embrace this and then more people would um, work on this project to restore and then that there actually is a bright future ahead, right? There could be. Yeah, yeah and I mean, it's it's... You know, it it's not just uh, wishful thinking. This is like what's actually happening, and I think when we can create those hypostitions, so we can when you can project yourself in a more beautiful future, 
mm. um, and then leverage technology to to read that future. I mean, a lot of technology that's been created today actually stems from like science fictions and people just having these crazy ideas on how things could function mm. in 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 an imagined future. Um, and I think when we put the power of that imagination to work and to actually design a world that works for for us and for nature, um, then we have chances of actually reaching it. Mm. And I mean, there's like some, there's a lot of like crazy big regenerative projects out there that I don't think most people are aware of and that I would love to make more people aware of. Like yeah. um, there's, there's this company called Regenerative Resources um they have they have created templates for how you can regenerate deserts for example in saudi arabia they were doing this project called mm. al Baida, uh where they, they took a piece of land that's like just straight up desert but that desert actually used to be forest a long long time ago a few generations ago um but today it's just it's just rocks and so what they did is simply by shifting the ways that the landscape is designed um by putting up like retention walls and making sure that once every, because once every few years you have um you have floods in those landscapes actually so uh, but also water just runs off and goes straight into the ocean so what they did is creating a water retention landscapes that would hold back the nutrients into the soil and the water into the soil and within a few years well within a decade basically you start to see that whole landscape regenerate itself and mm. turn into a green lush paradise and and that's like a dream that i think we could achieve on a much larger scale we could potentially regenerate you know all of the uh, arabian peninsula and maybe even the whole sahara turn that whole um desertic zone into into a lush uh garden again mm -hmm. um and i think if we're dreaming less than that then we're not being ambitious enough and we're not leveraging our imagination towards the right thing um when I hear people who are, you know, fleeing or not wanting to, for example, buy property in Portugal or Spain because they're afraid of the, the, the region desertifying, I'm like, do you really see that as a risk or is it an opportunity? Because if we, if we, if we believe in the narrative of, you know, we're doomed and climate change is coming and we have to hide away in a cave, mm -hmm. uh, then we're going to bring that vision alive. If we believe in a vision where we can actually transform the local ecosystems and the global ecosystems to actually work with nature and where we can actually restore it, then we can work towards that uh, ideal future. Um, yeah. I think that um, another, uh, my previous guest, uh, and his name is Anders Varier, he is um, working with a municipality here in Sweden, a building. Um, the vision is to build the first uh, self-sustaining city district, so also based on regenerative principles. And what he's saying is um, uh, also like that don't believe in the doomsday kind of thing because that is not uh, what kind of want make people be passionate about solving the climate crisis, but actually selling a vision of a better life, um, mm -hmm. like how you can actually live there. Uh, so I think that makes sense, uh, what you're saying as well. Um, yeah and and it's yeah i mean again like all of these projects are real and and they're flourishing and by taking degraded land and regenerating it turning it into nature again and we have the technology for it we have the knowledge 
um, it's it's really just a matter of, of doing it and putting the resources towards it. Um, then yeah, we can we can achieve this more beautiful world. So um, with the launch now of this, are you um, hoping that uh, more people will replicate the same kind of uh, structure that you did? Um, like, how do you? What what do you think that uh, we? What needs to happen for for you know this kind of products to actually become even mainstream? <laughs> yeah, I mean the the first step is to prove that this prototype is functional, that it works on an ecological, social, and economical level, um, and we we want to go out there and be like so successful that everyone else wants to imitate us. That that's mm -hmm. a little bit the objective with this. Mm -hmm. The goal of OASA is to protect a hundred thousand hectares globally. So. It's a pretty ambitious goal in terms of land size. I mean, you know, you're looking at something the size of Brooklyn, but uh, at the same time, that's not really nearly anywhere um, near enough to to have like a global impact. The the ways that we want to have a global impact is by letting other people copycat us, because mm. I think what humans are really good at is copycatting and mm. you know, make like having ideas that can then propagate across cultures and civilizations um, and that's how civilization was born you know it's we have been uh, sharing those ideas through our culture through writing and through technologies these days uh, which enable us to to take something that works and to reproduce it on a global level um, and so we are actively taking steps to facilitate that and to facilitate other people copycatting what we're doing so it's quite the opposite of what you would see in like capitalism culture, where mm. um, there's this idea of competition. Uh, on the contrary, like we work towards a common goal, which is a regeneration of the planet. So we're not competing with you. If you are out there doing regenerative work, then we want to work with you and we want to support mm -hmm. you. And and that's why we're open sourcing all of our ideas. Like you can, our white paper is online. You can find the articles of incorporation. Mm -hmm. that we spent 30,000 years on, half of it in, in tokens, but, you know, we spent a lot of money on these legal fees and so on, and everything is just public and available now, so anyone else mm -hmm. can just take what we've done to date. Um, and the whole technology piece of how you can actually, you know, uh, use your TDF tokens uh, to come and stay at TDF, um, all of that is going into the closer platform, which is uh, going to be available for any communities out there. And the code is open source. Um, mm -hmm. The smart contracts will be open source um, at the, in the near future. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's really how we see this kind of initiative scaling is through replication and letting other people create other iterations of the project. And I believe in this idea of having kind of global tribes where you'll be navigating between different cultural entities and you know OASA is one of them we have a certain kind of um, archetype and certain kinds of people who are attracted to our project mm. and we want to see many other of these projects happen out there that have a positive vision that are actually regenerating the planet and so that you can navigate between villages all across the globe um, yeah. and and one thing that Web3 also really enables us to do is as we're going to see more and more of these villages pop up around the world, it's also going to reinforce the network because now um, you can, for example, have the ability to um, 
to just swap tokens between two different villages. So in, in, the, in the DeFi world, in the Web3 world, you have what's called decentralized exchanges, which enable participants to swap tokens um, mm -hmm. without any intermediary. So for example, if you had, say, a TDF village and you have another village um, somewhere in Italy, let's say, uh, for example, of France Liminal village, uh, if they launch a token, um, now you could just go to this decentralized exchange and you can then swap the tokens and there's like some kind of market mechanism there so you're able to do that. And now it means that moving from one country to another, instead of being at Lansky, a real estate process where you have to go and you have to sell the house, you have to find a buyer, you have mm -hmm. to do all of these things, you can just, within like a few seconds and a few clicks on the, on the website, you actually can transfer your assets and transfer the, those utility rights between different projects. Um, yeah, so that, that's something that I'm definitely very uh, excited about. Um, and yeah, I think just bringing, bringing together technology and nature into, into creating a world that, that's more suited for, for humans. Hmm. That's a nice way of ending this uh, episode. So if anyone is now uh, curious to buy a token in traditional Dream Factory, what say should they do? Yeah, so we're going to be having um, a private sale um, and then we're going to be announcing our public sale on the traditional dreamfactory.com website uh, within a month or so. So um, I think we're targeting in uh, late February to have an invite-only sale. So you'll be able to uh, register if you sign up to a Telegram and whatnot. You'll be able to sign up for the for the sale. Um, yeah. Nice. I'll put the links in the show notes as well. Thank you very much for joining and um, keep up the awesome regenerative work. <laughs> Thank you I'm so much for having me. Following this, yeah. <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you want to read up more about the guest, then you can go to the show notes to get all of the links. And also, if you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter to never miss the latest episode. Thank you for today. See you in the next episode.